I don't think of sales as trickery or manipulation or what you get with a, uh, as, as you think about a used car salesman. I think of sales as very, very simple. You understand what the customer's problem is and you help them solve problems. So my math background of solving problems actually translated into sales because I'm a problem solver. If there's no problem, there's no sale. This is Finding Adventure episode number eight. Have fun selling. Almost nobody wants to be a salesperson because the stereotypical salesperson is pushy and annoying. So it's probably gonna come as a bad surprise when I tell you that if you don't sell, your startup will fail. But really this is true for any ambitious person in any profession. Even if you work in a big company or in government or in a nonprofit, if you wanna have an impact anywhere you go, you're gonna have to learn how to sell yourself and your ideas and your projects. So the good news is sales can be fun and you can do it in a way that feels authentic and honest to yourself. I think of sales as a big scavenger hunt where I'm looking for clues and trying to find the person who wants to buy my product. And what you'll hear in this episode is that anyone can do that if they're motivated. The stories you're gonna hear are from Ted Dacko, who was a math major as an undergrad. You're gonna hear why having a math background actually was a great background for sales. We are gonna get into some specific concepts, but if you take away nothing else, listen to how Ted thinks about sales and how he approaches it from a problem-solving standpoint. I think this is an approach that will appeal to a lot of non-salespeople out there. So my name is Ted Dacko. I am uh, currently 69 years old and have been in the software business my entire career. Um, I have a master's from William & Mary, so one would not have expected somebody with a magic of sales and marketing. Um, but I started my career as a programmer analyst at GE Capital Corporation, where I did interest rate forecasting. I took night school classes at GE and the GE Financial Management Program and got an equivalent of a finance degree, but it was internal to GE and ended up in corporate accounting, where I was the person who closed the books for GE every month, quarter, and obviously year end. One point in time in my career at GE, I went up to HR and I said, you know, I'm on the second floor of this building as an, as an accountant. And I see all these guys on the third floor who are driving really nice cars and are dressed a lot better to me. How do I get from where I am to where they are? And the HR people say, well, you can't. Um, you're on a different career path. So I left GE and entered the software industry, which I never left from there. And I started as a post-sales consultant. In other words, I was doing implementation work for software products that were sold. Then I moved up to pre-sales consulting where I was actually helping the salespeople with their sales. I was considered the software engineer or whoever who made prototypes work and, and got people to buy. And I was living in Connecticut at the time. And for those of you with, who understand the geography, um, I was working with a series of sales reps in Westchester County, Connecticut, which is just filled with large companies that should have been customers of the company I was with. And I was watching <clears throat> sales rep after sales rep strike out in that particular marketplace. So I went to my branch manager after they got rid of probably the third or fourth one. And I said, I would like to sell. And he said, Ted, you are not a salesperson. You are a, a services person. And I said, no, I think I, I think I can handle this. And he reluctantly gave me the job. And nine months later, I ended up at 1300% of quota and the company said, you're making too much money, we can't pay you anymore, but how in the hell did you do that? And the answer was pretty simple. I'm not, you know, I, I don't think of sales as trickery or manipulation or what you get with a, uh, as, as you think about a used car salesman, I think of sales as 
very, very simple. You understand what the customer's problem is and you help them solve problems. So my math background of solving problems actually translated into sales because I'm a problem solver. If there's no problem, there's no sale. So I graduated and elevated in my career to sales management, general management for a while with VP of marketing. I became CEO of a number of different companies. I've been a CEO six different times. And now I have a consulting company called Arbor Dakota. And I work with early stage companies. And I recognize that uh, I could dis distinguish the winners from the losers from the founder CEOs who are willing to and are good and comfortable with sales versus those who cower from it and don't want any parts of it. Ideas are cheap. You can't swing a dead cat and not hit a person in this marketplace who has an idea. The idea is not the important part. Many people think if I have an idea and I go off and build an MVP, I'm gonna get 90% of the way to the finish line for success for my company. My opinion, that's dead wrong. Building an MVP gets you maybe 8% of the way to the marketplace. It's the execution of sales, marketing, and services that really gets you to the finish line. And that's the very, very difficult part. As an early stage CEO, you are always selling. You are selling to the marketplace. You are selling to employees. You are selling to investors. You are selling to partners. You are selling to everyone. And it's important to learn and get your comfort level up with the idea of selling product uh, or selling your concept and selling your vision to your the, the important stakeholders and constituents that are going to be responsible for your business. Now, here's the other part about this. In this marketplace, meaning the Midwest, you really can't raise money unless you have customers and you can't have customers unless you sell them and you can't hire salespeople because you don't have money, therefore you have to do the first four or five sales. And if you can't sell, trust me when I tell you a salesperson's not gonna do any better job than you are, you just have to learn that this idea of doing proper customer discovery, understanding the customer's problem, and leading with the problem and not your product is absolutely essential to success. Next. We're going to zoom way in and talk about exactly what you should do when you're selling to a company. Keep in mind that for this conversation, we're talking about business to business selling. And when you listen to Ted, keep in mind that he and I agree on a fundamental assumption about what you're doing. And that is that most people are not going to buy from you, especially early on. And that's totally okay. There are 7 billion people out there. So your job isn't to be the used car salesman talking everyone into buying. What you're engaged in is a sorting exercise where you're taking people that you don't know if they're qualified buyers and you're sorting them into piles of qualified buyers and not qualified buyers. And the biggest risk is that you're going to run out of time. And that's why even as a new startup, you can afford to be very protective of your time. You have to be. So with that in mind, let's listen to a few techniques that Ted uses that I really like. There is a concept called a discovery call. And in a discovery call, what you're trying to do is you're trying to tell your potential buyer a little bit about you and ask them questions. They're going to tell you a little bit about them and ask you questions. You're going to see if there is a match between what you have and what they might want. You agree to this mutually, you do this mutually agreeable 
evaluation process, but you get them to understand that if we reach that point, they're going to be a buyer of your product at the price. So you tell them what the price is, I would, right up front and make sure that they understand. You are constantly trying to qualify your buyer on a number of things. Do they have need? Do they have money or are they willing to get money? Do they have the authority to spend? What is their evaluation process? And this last one is a really interesting one and that is qualify them on the time frame that they would like to be live with your product or they would like to start using. Because it's very important because if you get them to say, let's say it's now July of 2019 and you are selling a B2B application, then they say, I would like to be live with this by January 1st. Well, if they're not gonna say that, they're probably not a qualified buyer and you're wasting your time. If they say they'd like to be live by January 1st, they have told you that they're serious about this and they're thinking about an implementation. So you then back into an evaluation process. That means we have to sign a contract by probably December 15th because of the holiday season, which means that I need to get you a contract by December 1st or maybe even November 15th because contract processes are normally two to four weeks, which means that I need to get you a proposal by November 1st, which means that you have to do your reference checks by October the 15th, which means that we have to have our implementation planning session done by somewhere around October the 1st, which means that we have to start thinking about a demonstration in the August timeframe to get you to that point. Are you comfortable with that evaluation process? If they won't commit to that evaluation process, you don't have a serious buyer. Because here's the thing, when you are off talking to a prospect about your product, many of these potential buyers are trying to be nice and they're trying to get rid of you. And they're likely to say, yeah, this is a really great idea, Ted. Thank you very much. They can't wait to get you out of the office and then you're never going to hear from them again. Or worse than that, they're going to take you through an endless cycle of evaluation that never leads to a decision because they never really were interested in your product. So you have to qualify them on the interest way up front. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs have come back from a first meeting, booking it as a sale when they never hear from their potential buyer again, or the second alternative that I talked about, they end up in a 675 day sales process where the buyer is constantly throwing new criteria in front of them or new steps in front of them because they never got the method of evaluation qualified up front. And the buyer then has the ability to say, now you need to talk to Fred. Now you need to talk to Sue. Now I need a proposal. Oh, incidentally, I forgot about IT. And this just goes on and on and on and you never have a sale. The other thing you need to think about in sales that's extremely important is what are all the potential objections you're gonna get? And people refuse to do this and it is absolutely imperative. So if you know that they're going to uh, moan about the price or they're gonna say they don't have resources or they're gonna say it's not their decision, etc., you need to know that. And there are six categories of objections. Cognitive, I don't understand what your product does. Motivational, I don't want to. Political, uh, this is somebody else's decision. 
resource. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the people. I don't have the expertise, etc. Feature, I'm sorry, you don't have a lime green upside down left-handed screwdriver and I need that in the product. And the last one, which is the most important, is risk. I'm sorry, but you are a small company. This is a mission critical application. I'm not betting my career on a small company. So you have to constantly deal with these objections and if possible, do a preemptive strike on the objections before they hit way up front because once the potential buyer raises the objection, they are going to dig in their heels and defend that objection. But if you can do a preemptive strike, you can deal with that. Let me give you an example. So at one point in time, I was running a company that sold budget preparation software to higher education institutions. I knew that the higher education institution was going to say, we're too small for your product. We don't have the money. Well, we happen to have as an early customer, a very tiny higher education institution that had 500 students in it. And we were mostly calling on organizations that had somewhere between five and 15 or 20,000 students. So in my discovery call that we talked about before, they would say, tell me about your company. And I would say, we are for small to medium sized higher education institutions. We have customers as small as 500 students all the way up to 50,000 students. Now, if your first objection was gonna be, we're too small for your product, and I have 7,000 students, and you just told me you deal with organizations as small as 500 students, that is an example of a preemptive strike on an objection that you know is coming. But if you let them say that, that we're too small, and then you bring up that we have 500, it's too late at that point in time. So those are some of the ways that you need to help deal with some of these things. But it is like a mathematics problem. You are thinking through the sequence of things that need to happen, and you're just not going off the cuff trying to deal with things. Once you understand the mindset and you learn some of these tips from Ted, you'll be able to visualize how to go out and start selling then here's what's gonna happen next. You're gonna start feeling like an imposter. What's happening is that your body feels discomfort and is gonna start producing a flood of excuses about why you're not ready to go do this. Your mind is gonna say that I'm not an expert, that I don't have experience in this industry. The product is not ready. I lack credibility. You're gonna think this company that I'm talking to has tons of resources and experience and they can probably just do this themselves. And what's happening is now you're entering the eye of the hurricane. You are now at the bridge that most people never cross. And what I hope we can do here is give you a pep talk to help you get over that bridge because you can't have a company until you make sales and have revenue. So this idea that people as students might be afraid to talk to potential buyers because they're young, they are inexperienced, and they don't yet have a product, there are no constraints in terms of good ideas. Good ideas can come from anywhere. When I have been running the companies that I have run, some of the very best ideas have come from the fresh minds of people who are not biased by what's going on in a given industry or things, and they come up with fresh ideas. Everybody, regardless of your age, everybody has a fear of being found out. I'm older, I have done this seven times. Personally, when I take over situations, I also have a fear, I still have a fear of being found out because deep down inside we know ourselves really, really well. But I am a huge fan 
of the concepts of blue ocean strategy and have a personal relationship with, with the authors. And they will tell you that the fresh perspective comes from people who are either outside of an industry or who are not biased by the internal thinking and have the ability to look at the tools that are available in the blue ocean strategy principles and come up with thoughts and ideas that are stunning to people inside the industry that were right in front of them, but they never could see it because they were constrained by their experience. As young adults, you are not constrained by that experience and you have the ability to come up with fresh ideas. Now, not all of them are gonna be great and people are gonna tell you why your idea may not work and they may or may not be right, but it should never, ever, ever keep you from exploring these ideas and seeing if they can be implemented. Man, there's so much more on this topic. For now, we're gonna call it. Ted, I wanna say thank you so much for sharing your story and mindset about sales, which is such a sticky topic for most new entrepreneurs. By the way, I didn't mention earlier that Ted is best known as the CEO of Health Media, and they sold Health Media to Johnson & Johnson for about $185 million. He's been a CEO six times, and he and I spoke at Ann Arbor Spark, where he does consulting and advising for startups. If you wanna spend more time with Ted, he teaches a course through CFE and regularly runs seminars over at Ann Arbor Spark here in Ann Arbor. The next episode is one I'm really excited about. We're gonna hear stories from Brian Kelly about how to evaluate opportunities and pick one that's worth spending your time on. I feel like I'm really getting into my groove making these podcast episodes. They keep getting better. So come and join me for the next one. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.